Welcome to the Stanley Avenue Church of Christ podcast. We are studying through the book of Acts, and we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read that passage, and then we're going to make some comments from it. Acts chapter 1, and I'll be reading from the NIV. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set up by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Then when they were looking up intently at the sky where he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received from from his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and therefore he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Everybody in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, which is the field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another one take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time, with the Lord Jesus living among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection." So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This account here is uh, given by Luke, and uh, we know that by his extension of, uh, of this letter that he also began with the gospel. In the gospel of uh, Luke chapter 1, the first four verses, he establishes the purpose of his documentation, which is um, 
to provide the exact truth about the things which Theophilus has uh, heard and been taught about. So Luke is not trying to tell Theophilus many new things necessarily. He's simply trying to permanently secure uh, what he knows to be true. And Luke does this, he tells us in Luke chapter 1, that he has examined all the evidence very carefully. This is a claim for truth. This is a claim for uh, history. Uh, Luke is claiming uh, historical uh, credibility, reliability by appealing to the witnesses. Uh, many, many eyewitnesses. Luke investigated, he interviewed uh, extensively every single scenario that he writes about. And indeed, later on in the book of Acts, he himself is a participant uh, with some of the events uh, surrounding Paul. And so Luke had direct access uh, to the apostles, to the uh, eyewitnesses uh, at stake here. And so Luke is continuing this uh, effort, and he is wanting basically to extend what he wrote uh, in the gospel. Indeed, uh, at the end of uh, Luke, he, he overlaps uh, some of this content here as he, uh, as he continues. And really, there's a lot of themes that you read about in the book of Acts that you can trace back to uh, the way in which he wrote Luke. Uh, we'll notice just a few of those as we go. All right, so in verse 3, uh, Jesus appears uh, to his disciples, and he gives them uh, many convincing proofs, uh, primarily of which, though, is the appearing. Uh, you'll notice that um, uh, by appearing to them over a period of 40 days. So the appearing of Jesus is the primary proof for them, and appearing not over just one day or two, uh, but many days. Uh, the ends of the Gospels uh, record several of these types of events. For instance, in the uh, Gospel of John, uh, he appears over several weeks uh, duration. Um, and then in the Gospel of Luke, he, uh, Jesus appears to many of the different disciples, uh, including the apostles, but also including a few others who are named. And so Jesus is appearing to many people, not just the apostles, and it's not over just one day. This type of proofing is important because it shows that uh, this is not just some figment of their imagination. Uh, it's not something that's just happening to their brains. They're not being duped or tricked. Uh, this is an extended process. Um, and so we uh, like to say in the, in the world of science that something is not really proven to be scientific until it's repeated over and over again. Well, here, uh, Jesus is repeating himself over the period of, of even longer than a month, 40 days, uh, which is a significant number. Uh, remember back in uh, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, he's there for a period of 40 days and 40 nights, which is the same period that the uh, rainwater came upon the days of Noah. It was the same period of time in which the spies uh, uh, sought out the land. Therefore, it was the same period of time in which the Israelites were punished. 40 years is the duration of, uh, of the rulership of the King David and Saul and others. Uh, it's a significant number. And uh, is also significant because Jesus is gearing them up for the Pentecost, which we read about at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, of course, was one of the primary celebrations of the Jews in which they gathered at Jerusalem. It took place 50 days, that's the word penta, uh, 50 days after the Passover. And so um, it would always take place on the uh, on the uh, first day of the week, uh, kind of being a, a celebration of first fruits. And uh, so 40 days took place over most of that time frame, and then they would only have approximately one week left uh, before uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon them on the, the Pentecost that we will read in a little bit. So Jesus, in other words, is giving them full reason, full evidence uh, to give them confidence to assert the gospel that they are about to. They will suffer for this, and uh, he's giving them every reason uh, to be willing to do that. 
uh, he spoke about primarily the uh, the kingdom. Oh, that's interesting. In verse 3, he says he was speaking about the kingdom of God, and that was his primary message, remember. Uh, all the Gospels record this. When Jesus began his ministry, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that was even tied to John the Baptist's message. That was his message as well. And it's interesting that Jesus brings John the Baptist back up in verse 5 again. Um, and so he tells them in verse 4, I want you to wait um, for the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait for the promise. And um, we, we see over in Luke chapter 24 and uh, verse 49, uh, it's kind of a mirror passage to this, but it again is a reiteration that God is going to send help. And then also in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and then down in verses 26 and 27, in that gospel, uh, Jesus is promising them that he will grant them a helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, somebody who's going to help guide them into all truth. And he promises that to them in his absence while he's about to depart from them. And so he reminds them, is, is comforting them, that he will again send a, uh, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And uh, so uh, Jesus promises the Spirit, um, and uh, he's, he's confirming them uh, to them now that they are about to receive that uh, really any day now. And so he, he tells them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because it's going to be in Jerusalem uh, that he's going to begin the church. And part of that is because of the gathering at Pentecost. Uh, this is a great opportunity. Many thousands of people are gathering, and we're going to find that many thousands of people will be converted uh, because of this location and because of the events that happen. Um, then in verse 5, uh, Jesus mentions John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Um, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, John's baptism says is for repentance and forgiveness of sins. But in chapter uh, Luke 3 and verse 16, John himself recognized that his baptism was insufficient because uh, it was devoid of the Holy Spirit. Um, th this was basically something that you were committing to yourself uh, but you don't have the power yourself to save uh, yourself from your sins. It takes the Holy Spirit in his work uh, to, uh, to enact this process. So John uh, looked forward to when the Holy Spirit would enact his promises, which basically was uh, the, uh, the promises of the Old Testament to usher in the new kingdom. So really being baptized with the Holy Spirit here is in reference to uh, the, uh, the initiation of the new kingdom, which he has been speaking about in verse 3. Um, and so I would also suggest that the reason John's baptism was lacking the Holy Spirit wasn't because um, John himself was insufficient or anything like that. It was it was directly due to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead yet, uh, and that's why the Holy Spirit wasn't granted quite fully. You remember in John chapter uh, 7, at the end of that passage, Jesus looked forward to when the Holy Spirit would dwell within us, and he says he was, John tells us that he was speaking directly about uh, the resurrection process. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, that's when the Holy Spirit was essentially allowed uh, to then enter uh, the picture. And so uh, th 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 that process takes place over many days here. And this was uh, the, the whole 50 days after the Passover and then the beginning of the uh, Pentecost. Uh, that was the time frame in which the Holy Spirit was going to be ushered in uh, because Jesus is being raised from the dead and now he is about to be raised up uh, into uh, heaven. So, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit really is God's work. Uh, we find that nobody is able to baptize themselves into the Holy Spirit. This is something that God sends. Uh, you are baptized into the Holy Spirit by God's work, 
and uh, we find that primarily uh, whenever we read about somebody being baptized by or into the Holy Spirit specifically, it has to do with the miraculous signs that they are able to perform. However, when we are baptized into the name of Jesus that we read about in Acts 2 and uh, later on in Acts 10, and then even later on uh, in Acts 19, uh, the, the baptism into, the, uh, into Jesus does give us the Holy Spirit, but it is a different type of baptism. Uh, we do receive the Holy Spirit, but... Um, uh, the baptism by the Holy Spirit is God's work to give uh, the, uh, the men miracles to be able to perform, and that is slightly different from the baptism uh, that we usher into uh, by our own works, which, um, uh, which give us the promise of the Holy Spirit into eternal life. So we have to actually do the baptism uh, by water uh, into the name of Jesus, and then God grants us the eternal life. Uh, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he's referring to here, we find uh, that comes to pass at the beginning of chapter 2, and that's something that God does uh, for them uh, by his own work, and they don't really do anything uh, else to receive that. In uh, verse 6, uh, Jesus says that, uh, or the, the disciples come and ask him, are, are you going to restore the kingdom back to where it should be? And uh, some people interpret this to mean that the, uh, the apostles are still not understanding the nature of the kingdom because remember that the Jews have grown up their entire life thinking that the uh, the Messiah, the uh, the heir of David is going to sit in Jerusalem to reign. And so perhaps this is, and this was the way that the apostles were thinking throughout most of Jesus' ministry. So some people interpret this, interpret this to mean that they still don't get it. They're still waiting for Jesus to go and ascend the physical throne. But, you know, I would actually draw your attention to some of the other passages that we've just been looking at here. Is that, uh, did the disciples really not get it yet? Because over in uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, we are told very specifically in verse 45 that uh, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's in context of verse 44, which talks about all that the law of Moses and the prophets were foretelling, uh, which included the kingdom. And so their, their question here is directly related to the promises of ushering a restoration for the kingdom. And it says that Jesus had already explained to them how this would work and uh, how Christ would suffer and be raised again. And then verse 47 of Luke 24, it says... Um, uh, Jesus talks about how uh, the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So again, Jesus has already explained to them the kingdom. And then in verse 3 here in Acts 1, uh, he's already been talking about the kingdom. I, I say it's highly unlikely that the disciples are just complete dunces here. I say it's more likely that they're actually asking whether or not Jesus is going to fulfill what he's already just been telling them about. And uh, Jesus' answer in verse 7 ultimately is, God has authority over the timing of all these things. And when he says that it's not up to you to know the times and the epics, he's reminding them that God is in control of all this. It's not up to you and your decision-making to usher in the kingdom. It, this is God's choice, and it's not really up to you to even know how exactly God's going to work out the timing over this. Because remember, God is taking his time with all this. He doesn't pick just a single day in which Jesus is raised and the church is established and the Gentiles come into the kingdom, etc., uh, this is something that's going to take place over many days, perhaps even many years, before we even get to uh, Acts chapter 10. And so, God is the one in control of the timing of all this, and they just needed to trust him. But, in verse uh, 8, he basically says, but to answer your question, yes. Yes, the, whole, the Holy Spirit is coming, and that's going to be when the kingdom is restored to Israel, because that was due to the promises 
um, that were uh, found in the Old Testament. Jesus is about to ascend to his throne, remember. Um, and so whenever he ascends into heaven, he sits down at the right hand of God, and that's really the officiating marker of the beginning of his kingdom. And so when they're asking, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Essentially, yes, he is about to do that. Um, he is about to ascend to the throne, and he's about to. Uh, they are about to receive the signs of the restoration. Notice over in Acts chapter two, when and Peter is preaching here, uh, being baptized by the Holy Spirit, they are speaking in tongues, and uh, the people are marveling at this. And he draws their attention in Acts two, and verse sixteen and following. He quotes from the book of Joel. Now, the book of Joel chapter two, uh, in which uh, Joel is making this. Uh, uh, prophecy is in is in context again of the restoration of Israel and uh, in that passage says that uh, God's going to send the spirit and the people will uh, have the opportunity uh, to then return back to God and in uh, chapter uh, following those verses that Peter quotes he says in Joel chapter 3 verse 1 for behold in those days and at that time, referring to when the Holy Spirit comes and, and baptizes them, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. And so their question here uh, to Jesus is actually quite fitting. Uh, they're asking, Jesus, is this the time in which you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The answer is yes. Uh, I am about to restore it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is about to come upon you. You're about to see the signs of the restoration. And then again in Acts chapter 2, G uh, Peter ties all these passages together in verse 32 on through there's verse 36 to say that um, we are witnesses of the resurrection and in verse 33 uh, having been exalted to the right hand of God that's an ascension to the throne having received the uh, from the father the promise of the holy spirit that's what they just got uh, he that is God or the holy spirit has poured forth this which ye both see and hear for it was not David to ascend into heaven but David himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, Peter concludes, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, that is the king, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, uh, is Jesus or is God about to restore the kingdom back to Israel? Yes. Yes, he is. And he does through... Uh, does so through Jesus about to ascend the throne and the spiritual kingdom begins through them and then extends even to the rest of the church. In uh, verses 9 through 11, they see Jesus ascend into heaven and we find that the two men uh, who appear are very similar to the two men that appear back in Luke chapter 24 to the women who first see the empty tomb. They ask uh, the women in Luke 24 verses 4 and 5, they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus here? He's not here. He's risen. And it's interesting. They ask basically the same question to them. Here, men of Galilee, why are you standing to look up into the sky? Why are you here? You've got work to do. Go ahead and go back home. Uh, don't, um, don't be worried about this. This is supposed to be a comforting message. Uh, to them. And you remember over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 17 and 18, Paul is giving us comfort that uh, when, um, when Jesus comes back, we will uh, be caught up together with him and meet him in the clouds, and we're comforting each other with those words. These men are, are speaking a similar comfort to them here in Acts 1 verse 11, which says that uh, Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come just in the same way as you watched him go. Um, 
So they are comforted by this, they return, and they gather back together again with the other disciples. It mentions in verse 12 a Sabbath day's journey, so I'd say that there's a possibility uh, that, they're, that this event is happening on the Sabbath, and that uh, when they return back to uh, the, the meeting house, that is essentially the evening time, which begins the first day of the week. So they are gathering with each other on the first day of the week, as is their custom, as recorded through uh, the end of all of the Gospels. And so uh, they are gathered together with other disciples, even, in uh, verse 13, uh, in, 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 or rather in verse 14. So all the disciples, minus Judas, who has died, and uh, even some of the others, including Jesus' own mother and, and some of the other women, uh, and even Jesus' brothers, who at one time were mockers uh, of, of Jesus, but now they have at least realized the importance of his work. And yeah, you remember that uh, James, Jesus' brother, does become an important elder in the church, and we're going to read about him later in the book. So, uh, all in all, in verse 15, about 120 faithful disciples are gathering together. I, I find it unlikely that they're all crammed into the upper room together here, but at, at some point throughout this week, uh, leading up to Pentecost, they're gathered, and um, uh, Peter decides to make an announcement. Now, in verses 16 through uh, 22, Peter makes an announcement about finding a replacement for Judas. And basically, he is, is extrapolating from the Old Testament. And uh, he makes three extrapolations. Uh, number one, Judas was prophesied about from Scripture. Uh, the events that have surrounded Judas with his demise are basically traced back to Scripture. It's interesting that he pulls those connections, which to our minds are not readily apparent. But remember, Jesus has just made known to them uh, the way of the Scriptures. So they're starting to think for themselves. Peter here is starting to fit together those old uh, passages and seeing how they are fulfilled in their lives. And uh, the second thing is that Judas must be replaced. He said Jesus picked 12. 12 is the pattern of the tribes. And uh, since Judas uh, forsook his place among us, he must be replaced. Um, and he, he even quotes scripture for that as well. And then in verse, uh, or rather, and then the third thing that he says is that the replacement has to be identical to us. He has to mirror uh, the ministry uh, that we uh, also witnessed. So from the baptism of John, witnessing the, uh, the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus and the voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, from that, all the way even through the ascension into heaven, they are going to be a witness. And the purpose, you remember, is to be a witness of the resurrection. So they need to pick somebody who is going to uh, be a good representation, a good eyewitness of all the events of Jesus and can, to, and can attest to the miracles of Jesus from the very beginning. Um, and uh, they basically consider amongst themselves who can fit that bill. Two men are put forward. And it's also valuable to note here in verses 23 through 26 that the disciples, the apostles, are not making this choice. They're not voting on this. Uh, they're not looking at the situation. They're saying, well, who's going to be an apostle? Well, I like this guy. Well, we work well with this guy. Uh, let's vote him into uh, the last place as the apostle. No, this is actually Jesus's choice. Jesus chose all the apostles, and that's quite evident when you read all the Gospels, even, even the Gospel of Luke. Jesus chooses his 12 disciples, and he always does so very specifically, uh, the ones who are going to be closest to him. He even chooses other disciples who aren't numbered among the 12, and two of these men are the ones that are going to be 
uh, placed into this office by God himself. And so they pray. They pray to Jesus. They, they petition the Lord, whom uh, Peter identifies in Acts chapter 2, is Jesus. So they petition Jesus in verse 24, and they ask, You know the hearts of all men. And uh, show which one of these two whom you have chosen. They're already expecting that God's already made this choice. Uh, their anticipation here is that this is what God wants them to do. They are in full confidence that this is something that they are to be doing. And so when they cast the lots, they're trusting that God will see to it that uh, their correct man is chosen. So uh, by casting lots, and this is really the only time we find uh, the apostles or the church doing this, it's uh, specifically related to the choice of Jesus on this matter, and uh, they're basically just wanting to know they have a 50-50 split. They don't know. They want God to decide. So they're really displaying full trust in God uh, by this act. Uh, this is an act of submission uh, and, hum and humility on their behalf, not being presumptuous to choose which one, but to let Jesus choose. And this is a fitting opening uh, to the book of Acts because they are going to continue to submit themselves to God's will. They're going to continue to suffer together. Uh, this was not uh, something that Matthias was being elected to here. This was not going to be a pretty or fun job. Uh, this is going to be something that he was going to suffer along just with the rest of them. And uh, so Jesus, as he says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And, and Luke chooses to use that as the outline of the entire book of Acts. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 2 in Jerusalem, and then we will see how uh, the gospel will, will extend even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, and listen again as we continue more chapters from the book of Acts.